Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is how to make a great first impression. We're also going to have a chat with uh, Christina. We're going to be talking about some very exciting current innovation products. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Warwick Ryan, who's a lawyer, and we're going to talk about the wage award system for family businesses. Good afternoon, Warwick. Good afternoon, Julian. Thank you once again for joining us. Uh, so that's an interesting subject. Uh, what are awards and how do they apply to businesses and staff? Okay. Um, awards are a, a unique a unique system. I say unique. We're the only country in the world that has them. Hmm. Um, most countries just have legislation which dictates a minimum wage and often you'll hear debates coming out of the states about one state or another talking about increasing the minimum wage. Um, for example, Arkansas, I think, recently increased it to $10.50 an hour or some such thing. And we're talking about re-changing ours as well, yeah. I think, at the moment, too. <laughs> well, we are, but our, our, ours is around about $18 already. Yeah. Um, so we have a much more detailed system. We actually have awards which dictate not just minimum wages, but we have uh, we have awards which dictate wages for people who are quite experienced and quite senior and quite well qualified. And uh, uh, they talk about, you know, uh, paying people uh, wages of seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. So right. it's a it's a much more comprehensive system. There's one hundred and twenty two different awards wow. that exist. Um, they apply as a matter of fact, and so if they apply to an employee, then they apply, and there's nothing you can do really to step around it, subject to one qualification if they're earning a lot of money. But um, uh, essentially, for almost all employees that are covered by awards, um, if they fit the, the criteria, then it applies. So I was about to say, what are the implications of an award applying to an employee? But you've probably already covered that, haven't you? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Um, listen, they, they apply to many different aspects of, of work, from the hours you work to when you can work. Uh, if you do work, then um, what you would be paid at particular times of the day or particular times of the week and there's obviously been a debate um, in uh, you know in the in the media and more generally in the community about penalty rates on the weekends, mm. which is obviously that's a feature of of a mm. particular two awards. Um, so there's quite a it, it, it deals on you know that people must be able to have a lunch break, and uh, it maps out that the span the span of hours that's when 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 you the hour after which you can you start and, and be made to start and, and, and uh, for which you've got to be sent home, as it were. Allowances that people get paid for, for doing all sorts of things, working in heat, working in cold, travelling, um, taking on certain responsibilities, such as being the first aid officer. There's all that mapped out within awards. So, so and, why, why is an understanding of the award system critical for family businesses? It's critical for all businesses, but uh, for family businesses... It's 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 critical for a, for a range of reasons, and it's 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 probably it's critical for a reason that has really emerged or been um, come to the fore in the last couple of years, and that is that the um, what's arisen because of the debate within our society about the lack of wage growth, um, the idea of non-compliance with awards has become a real focus. And indeed, the Fair Work Ombudsman is out there and very active in a way, much more so, for example, than work cover is. Yeah. 
they're regularly doing audits out there, but also people can get the work, uh, Fair Work Ombudsman to act on their uh, to to act on their behalf to extract um, underpayments. For example, is a common argument, and you've seen many of those that Seven Eleven, uh, Lush, Amart, um, Red Cross, for example, was found to have owed eight million dollars wow. uh, to its staff just by miscalculation of wages. Mm. I think it was Lush may have been at least four or five million. So there's these these uh, misunderstand sorry these um, miscalculations. But why it's relevant is just for example, if I'm running a business and I inadvertently um, underpay someone, and for whatever reason, uh, the Fair Work Ombudsman, which I'll often do, will prosecute me even if I pay it back. Mm. They'll still prosecute me, and just say I'd underpaid someone. Uh, for example, $15,000. Um, so I paid the $15,000 back, but we'll go through court, and the courts will often, if not generally, impose a, a fine of fifty or sixty or even $100,000 on me for that one miscalculation. Mm. And that's, that's a fine, not, not just against the company, but there's often a, a fine, a smaller one at Bullbet, but a fine against the individuals involved. Yeah. So, so can you provide some examples where businesses often relatively innocently end up on the wrong side of prosecution, paying those penalties? Okay. I'll give you a couple of, a couple of examples. Mm. Um, often people may, for example, uh, a staff member may be zealous. They're a good staff member and yeah. they're working hard and they work and they, and they sit at their desk and they work through lunch. They don't take their lunch break. Well, under many awards, if someone doesn't take, if not most awards, if someone doesn't take their lunch break, then any work they do from that point on is at time and a half or even double time wow. for the rest of the day. Mm. Now, if, if someone is zealous and you, the, the, the boss allows them to work through their lunch, then when you say allowed, doesn't do anything about it, yeah. then effectively they are responsible for that. Oh. So not only over a period of time would you, you get an accumulation of, uh, of the of the underpayment, but you'd also get a fine that arose. So something as simple as that for an employee, it, it would be not unusual for that to, um, which which transpires over a period of years that they end up owing someone maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars. Mm. When you throw in legal costs, it would probably cost the business about one hundred and fifty thousand. Wow. So. It's, and that's that's with a finding of uh, of the employer not being deliberate. Mm. If it were deliberate, the fine would probably be higher. Double. double. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, well, thanks very much for your time. Uh, we'll have a chat with you again another time. No worries, Julian. Okay, thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Warwick Ryan there, uh, helping us to understand that wage award system. And, of course, we I think most of us are familiar with it. But uh, those little things like... Uh, not having a lunch break and then having to pay double time. We could get caught up with that quite innocently, couldn't we? We're time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. What a beautiful day it is this outside. It's is very nice today, isn't it? Um, it is. So uh, we're going to look at some, what, what sounds very intriguing, current innovation products. Yes, and, and I actually, I know we had a discussion um, before we were on air, but I've actually changed one of them. I came okay. across... Um, an article that I remember reading quite some time ago, uh, and it's about shopping. In shopping malls in China, they've actually come up with um, a husband pod, which I think is an awesome thing 
for husbands to not annoy wives with when they go out shopping. Now, I know this is probably a little bit sexist and I know it can work the other way around, but in, in my personal scenario, this is how it works. Um, but what, what they're doing in China is that they're, they've installed glass pods uh, and they're gaming places, really. So they very much, if you, if you think about the old retro 1990 computer game um, areas, you know, you sat on the mm. comfy leather seat and you played the games. What they're doing is they're installing these glass pods into the shopping centres. Um, the husband or the wife, if, you know, depending on who's the shopper in the family or the partner, you know, whatever whatever scenario we're looking at, sits themselves. The, the non-shopper in the in the couple sits themselves in the pod um, and can play all these computer games um, while their other other half is. Um, is doing what they do best and shopping, yeah. So, you know, there's a chair, the monitor, the computer, the gamepad, um, and they're doing billboard advertising all over the place. So I thought that was kind of a really good yeah. thing around, you know, necessity. If you, you know, what, where's the gap in the market and what, and what can we do to increase shopping in our organisation? There you go. Take care of the board, the board other half. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, that's happening um, as we speak in actually at Lyon Airport in France We've got robo, um, robot valets parking cars, and it's working amazingly well. So mm. how they're doing it is they've actually got um, they've got robots. Now, they're, they're not um, the human-looking robots that, that we imagine when we talk about robots. They're actually square boxes um, that have these forklift-like um, appliances attached to them. And what they do is they slide under the car. But what you do when you pull it, when you drive into this area to get your car parked by a robot valet, um, you park it into this garage, you punch all the details in when you're leaving, when you're coming back. And because all that information um, is transmitted, um, the robots then can use their sensors to figure out the geographical location of where the car is. They can use the geographical location of where there are spare parking places. Everything's organised according to who's coming back at what time. Um, and they're managing to fit something like 50% more cars into the same area wow. um, because they don't have to have immediate access. Like in most car parking spaces, you need to be able to get in and out of the car, mm. you know, very quickly to get mm. it to get it in or out, which is why we've got, you know, usually one car parked in front of another. But these can be three or four deep. And they're probably um, stacked. The robots can do it. No, they're actually not stacked, okay. believe it or not. Not in, not in this scenario, mm. um, but I have seen scenarios where they do stack the cars mm. in very busy, um, commercial, you know, large populated cities. But in mm. this one where the robots are, are, are controlling um, using this forklift, uh, it's all just it's a flat, flat car park and they're fitting... I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenal amount of cars, 50% yeah. of cars in the same space. Yeah, well, let's go talk about um, flying cars next. Oh, we are. I mean, you know... Everybody's talking about mobility at the moment, and, and the next phase for mobility is to use the sky. Uh, and we just got another step closer. Goodyear are working on. So we, we often talk about the seventy twenty ten rule. Seventy percent of your time should be, you know, on, on business as usual. Twenty percent are things like, you know, let's work on the robot valets because we've already got robots and we know that we can use automation to. Percent of your time should be spent on the way out stuff, and Goodyear are spending ten percent of their time on the way out stuff. What they're doing is they're devising tyres um, that will also serve as propeller blades. So the tyres have a dual purpose. They'll be a tyre when they're on the ground. They support the weight of the car. Um, but then when the car needs to go airborne, which, you know, one day it will, um, the, two, the one front tyre, one back tyre um, moves into a horizontal position, starts 
spinning when the car reaches the right the right speed and the right um, air lift. Takes off. It, it lifts up, and the other two come up, and they all act as propellers. Oh. Um, and then the same thing kind of happens on the way down. So we've got almost got the two in one concept car again. How do we make life easier? How do we make mobility better? How do we create efficiency? Um, here's Goodyear going. Well, what is you know what is it for us when we don't need to be making as many tyres because there won't be as many cars at ground level because we're moving towards autonomous vehicles. We're moving to a you know a sharing a ride share economy. What's the next step for them? So they're already thinking in that extra ten percent space. We're going to be needing to have these cars that become taxis. I, you know, just that that whole thought process. It's going to be there's going to be a lot of other complications that need sorting out when we get that stage. I think too. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of technologies happening in parallel, like sensors. Yeah. You know, the autonomous vehicles feed each other information. They know how to avoid accidents with each other. Every time somebody has an accident or an autonomous vehicle has an accident, there's more and more intelligence and data gathered. The same with the, um, by the oh. time we're ready to put, you know, cars in the air, the sensors are going to be working amazingly well and we're going to be having potentially no human intervention with the with the PARS of these vehicles. Mm, great. Well, thanks very much for your time, uh, Christina. We'll have a chat again next week. Look forward to you. Have a great week. Bye-bye. You too. Well, you're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. Time for our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one is make a great first impression. Whether you're interviewing for a job or making a sales call with a new client, first impressions matter. Your relationships and interactions will be a lot easier if you start off strong. And here's how to do it. Firstly, do your homework. Know who you're talking to, what he or she cares about, and the problem he or she's trying to solve. Prepare relevant talking points before the meeting. Secondly, exude confidence. It's normal to be nervous, but you don't want your anxiety to show. Your body language should be confident and comfortable. Take long strides, sit up straight and walk with your chest held high. Thirdly, engage and be engaging. Draw out the other person, listen to what he or she's saying, ask thoughtful questions. The better you make her or him feel, the more they are inclined to have a positive first impression of you. And then finally, follow up. To ensure your first impression sticks, write the person a thank you note or send an article related to the conversation you had. So some very interesting points there. Making a great first impression, very, very important, isn't it? Next week, we're going to visit the world of tax with Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray. We'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Stephen Covey once said, if you start to think the problem is out there, stop yourself. That thought is the problem. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>